Hello and welcome. I'm glad you are able to join us today. Our topic will be confidentiality, a subject that over many, many years has been the subject of much discussion. But first, I would like to start by reading a poem that I wrote quite a number of years ago now when my daughter was ill and came to live with me as she worked towards recovery. I called this poem Chair. Each day I give you comfort. Each day since we came home together I support your weight increasing with the years. You should look at me, you know, be aware of the burden I carry, feel the cracks as my skin rubs and wears. You should attend my weary springs, failing frame, broad, smooth surface. Why don't you brush down the worn coat, listen to my creaks and groans, come here, stroke me, touch with love the faithful arms waiting, fearful that you might not return. Why don't you feel the warmth of my heart beating at the sound of your feet? Why don't you just once look at me? I am tired of your careless demands, the way you blindly take and take and take and take. One day my inner strengths, without warning, will break. That day, at a class, we were asked to look round the room and find an inanimate object to write about and give it a character. And that's how I came to write Chair. And I realised while I was reading it over what I was writing about. However, back to confidentiality. Because confidentiality over many, many years has been the subject of much discussion and has also been the reason for many problems that families have due to having no information. And in the past, confidentiality has often been quoted by professionals as the reason for not giving any information to families and other carers. No information at all. My own experience when my daughter, legally a young adult, told me about the diagnosis she'd recently been given, a diagnosis of anorexia nervosa, binge purge type. Well, I'd heard the word anorexia, and the word bulimia, but had no idea what they meant. I'd never even heard the phrase an eating disorder, and I hadn't a clue what these illnesses involved. And worried that I might inadvertently do the wrong thing, I went to our GP and asked what I should be doing to help Jay and what I should try to avoid doing. And his answer? You know as much as I do. Much, much later I realised that his training was to recognise symptoms and conditions, to make a diagnosis and recommend treatment based on past research and practice. He had little or no information or knowledge about caregiving outside medical diagnosis. Well, this was the beginning of my search for information about these devastating illnesses and what to do to support my daughter. Wherever I went, I searched every bookshop, every library for a practical book without success. 
At that time, I'd never even heard the phrase, an eating disorder. And it was some time before I found out that anorexia and bulimia were called eating disorders. They were regarded as mental health problems, which affected physical health too. As a single caregiver, I felt extremely worried as I watched my beloved Jay quickly lose weight until she looked like a walking skeleton. And without any information about what might help my daughter win the fight against the twin compulsive demons called anorexia and bulimia, I felt helpless to know what to do to help her. And then eventually I realised that after eating good meals each day across the table from me, she was getting rid of everything she'd eaten. But I had no idea what to do or how to help her get back to healthy eating. At that time, I had no computer, no internet. Perhaps if I'd had some information and a bit of experience with computers and internet, I'd have been able to find out that anorexia and bulimia were actually called eating disorders and I might even possibly have found a support group near where we were living. I understand now that medical practitioners in the past believed that they alone should work with young patients. The assumption was that only their adult patients were entitled to being given a diagnosis about their health problems and in some cases younger patients were told not a thing about the illness, this condition thought to be causing the symptoms. Anyone under 18 was classed as a child and it was assumed that they wouldn't understand a diagnosis or what it meant. Adults over 18s were usually given only a basic diagnosis with little or no information about what that diagnosis could mean in terms of his or her everyday life, work and home relationships, their interests and pastimes, friendships, travel, finance, and that some medical conditions could affect every aspect of a person's life too. In many instances, confidentiality was quoted as the reason for withholding information, which in past times has led to very unfortunate and sometimes tragic consequences. In my book, Surviving Family Caregiving, I quote from the Department of Health document 2006. On page 125, it says, Thankfully, things have begun to change with the recognition that care for a vulnerable person with a difficult health condition, whether affecting physical or mental health, or perhaps both as an eating disorder conditions, can be much more effective when everyone is singing from the same song sheet. In other words, when everyone involved in a patient's care has the necessary relevant information to ensure the most effective care possible. In other words, good all-round communication leading to all-round coordinated effort. Just one quote from Harry Miller who worked at Cornhill Hospital in Aberdeen. A quote which demonstrates the changes in attitudes over recent years. Dr Miller said, doctors cannot give individual information about your loved one who as an adult patient has rights about their own personal information being kept confidential. But there is no reason why doctors cannot offer general information about a particular condition or illness.
There have been many recent changes in health service approaches. Following recognition over the recent years of the benefits to patients of all-round coordinated care in common with other areas of the UK, in recent years health services in Scotland have worked on developing ways of giving relevant information to informal home carers. For instance, through local health services like NHS Grampian, as well as charities and helpful groups such as the Carers Trust. Information to encourage discussion of issues affecting both family and other home carers as well as the professionals caring for their vulnerable patients. Many areas as part of this important project have produced the Carers Information Strategy. Go to the website www.nhsgrampian.org slash carers. The contents on that website include sections on, for instance, carers' rights, carers' involvement in planning, information and advice, carer health and well-being, carer training, short breaks, advocacy, tackling poverty, financial inclusion, workforce training. In fact, a treasure trove of up-to-date information relevant to home caring for vulnerable loved ones. And many other areas now have similar documents, all developed through the work of collaborative groups of representative home caregivers, professionals and people who have survived coping with or have recovered from difficult life-affecting health conditions. Over recent years, books have begun to appear about different health conditions written by a collaborative team of, for instance, a recovered patient, an experienced professional and a family or home caregiver whose loved one is in recovery. I have been a part of a team like that who wrote such a book to help and support the efforts of others living through tough times when a loved one has developed a serious health condition. I was the experienced family carer whose daughter had come home to live with me when she was diagnosed with anorexia bulimia binge purge type. Professor Janet Treasure has specialised in treating eating disorders and believes that good all-round collaborative care is the most effective care and GP Anna Crane, who has recovered from personal experience when as a student she lived through an eating disorder and recovered well. Asking relevant questions can be a really important way of finding much needed information and personal support. Home caregivers can play a really important role in supporting a vulnerable person on their road to recovery but sometimes at a cost to the carer's own life and health. What do you need in your situation? Well, each caregiving situation is different. Just a few real life situations I've come across over the last few years. All names have been changed. Sarah is a single parent caring for Robert, who's 23, her physically handicapped son who frequently feels exhausted as well as frustrated when she finds it difficult to cope with his many limitations. I love him so much, Sarah said. 
and feel really guilty when I feel frustrated and exhausted. It's not his fault and I wish I could do more for him. My husband couldn't cope at all. He left when he realised Robert wasn't going to get any better. At least now we get some help from the local authority. They find someone who tells me who to phone when I've needed help. For instance, when Robert grew too big for me to help into the bath. She helped me with a lot of other things too. Another situation. Peter and Helen are main family carers for their daughter. When she was discharged from hospital recently, we had no information about her condition, how she would behave, how we should react. We had no idea how to help when she was unwell. We were just expected to cope. It was a complete nightmare. And Ed. Ed looks after his wife of almost 50 years who has developed Alzheimer's. At least our GP has known Lily for a long time and has tried to help us in any way he can. He gave us the name of Alzheimer's Scotland. It was really helpful because when I looked it up online, I got a telephone number. I phoned it and someone gave me a contact for a group who meet up not too far away. And it was really, really helpful. I don't know how I would have coped without the self-help group. And our friend Pat really helps too. She stays with Lily so I can go to a meeting sometimes with other family carers. Sadness, frustration, exhaustion, helplessness are some of the feelings Sarah, Peter and Helen and Ed experience in their situations. Each situation will be different. But perhaps you can identify some features of your own situation in the outlines described. Finding relevant information in your own individual situation is the most important and most helpful thing you can find. Maybe from a doctor or other professional, maybe from a friend who has some experience, either personal experience or perhaps through their job perhaps through a self-help group. What would help in your situation? Think about what you would say and what you would ask in your situation. In my book called Surviving Family Caregiving, I've given a couple of pages to writing a formal letter. Important questions and confidentiality. If you feel hesitant or nervous about writing a more formal letter, perhaps you could ask someone to help you make sure you say what you really feel is important in the best possible way. Remember that by enlisting someone's help, you will be sharing possibly sensitive information and the confidentiality of your vulnerable family member must be taken into consideration. Do you have someone you can discuss this with? What's your highest priority? Is it that the treating professional needs to know the important information you want to give? Or avoiding a difficult reaction when your loved one finds out you've shared your observations? No matter how important you feel it is to ensure that important information is passed on to people who could help, no matter how worried you yourself feel, how will your loved one feel the person you most want to help. 
Should you tell them what you've done and why you felt it was important? Only you and your family can decide what's best in the long term. At least being honest with the person at the centre about sharing the important information and why avoids the possibility of your actions coming to light unexpectedly at a later date. When talking to the vulnerable loved one about what you felt it was important to share with their treatment providers and why you feel it was so important, try to choose a relatively quiet and relaxed time. Think carefully about what you say and choose your words to explain your concerns. As always, stress your caring, your concern, your love for your dear one and your wish to help them through their long-term difficulties. Remember, finding a calm moment to talk and the right words is crucial. In their fears of possibly breaking confidentiality, many health professionals have indeed erred on the side of caution. And due to those fears, unfortunately, much information about background, home situations and circumstances, which would often be helpful and relevant to understanding a patient's difficulties, all that information has been missed. In some instances, ignoring family voices that are trying to offer relevant information about a loved one's paranoia or aggression has led to tragedy. As my main carer roles were supporting Jay and my mother, who had developed Alzheimer's, my own main experience has been with eating disorders and dementia. And throughout my writing, I have quoted from that experience as well as from those of many others affected by their serious conditions. Confidentiality so often is mentioned as the most frequent reason for lack of relevant information. When I was a home carer for my beloved Jay, I wrote the poem I started this podcast with, Chair. Each day I give you comfort. Each day we came home together, I support your weight, increasing with the years. I'm tired of your careless demands, the way you blindly take and take and take and take. One day my inner strengths, without warning, will break. Is that how you feel, exhausted and unable to cope? Confidentiality has been an enormous problem for family carers when they've had no information whatsoever from treating professionals. And I'm glad to say that today things have changed quite dramatically, I would say, as leading professionals have realised, possibly because they cope or have coped in the past with somebody who is very vulnerable and unable to cope on their own. And they have used that experience in their own work and put together information which helps family carers cope and know what to do in certain difficult situations. Confidentiality is still important, but giving family carers information about an illness or health condition is very, very different 
from giving personal information that the patient had given the doctor in confidence. But talking to your loved one's doctor about the difficulties and what would help your vulnerable loved one can also help the carers to know what to do by giving them relevant information about the illness, the condition and what to do, what not to do or what to try to avoid doing. All these things are very, very important. Think about your own situation and look for relevant support. Think about confidentiality and what we've said today. We'll be talking again about how to come through your difficulties, your feelings of lack of experience, lack of information, helplessness, all these feelings that I felt in my journey when my daughter was working towards recovery. I hope that what I've said has felt relevant in your own situation. Every single caring situation is different, but there are things that affect everyone. Looking after yourself, finding times to try and relax or have a space from all your responsibilities, all these are the same for everyone. No matter the circumstances, caring for a loved one who is vulnerable because of illness or a difficult condition. Support for that person is really, really important. And finding out information, relevant information, whether it's classed as confidential or not, sometimes you need every tiny piece of information to help you understand and help you support your loved one. Thank you for listening today. Bye just now.